Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com slash Goals24. That's Chime.com slash Goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash Disclosures for details. Ship show. We're finally starting to see some weakness in the stock market. The Dow Jones was down just over 450 points today. I guess within 50 points or so of the low of the day. We closed very weak down near the lows. There was a rally intraday, but I don't know if uh, maybe down a little less than 300 points is about uh, the best rally the Dow can muster. We're now down about 2.8% from the peak price. We did get as high as 29,373 spots, 6.2. The close today was 28,535.8. You know, we had a weekday on Friday as well, but not nearly as weak as today. In fact, all of the major averages were down. The NASDAQ was down almost 1.9%. It's now down about 3.3% from its record high set earlier this month. The Russell 2000 down a little over 1% today, but it's been the weakest of the major indexes. It's down better than 4% now from its high earlier in January. And remember, as I've been pointing out on this podcast, the Russell 2000 is the only index that didn't make a new record high. The high for the Russell was still in the fall of 2018. So while the Fed was able to levitate the other markets to new highs, the other averages by cutting rates and doing quantitative easing, it was not able to uh, repeat that trick when it comes to the Russell 2000. And again, the Russell 2000 is the index that most reflects the U.S. economy because it doesn't have all the big multinationals. And that is the index that all of the, uh, you know, uh, Trump 
uh, touters, the people who are buying into this, you know, we have the greatest economy ever. That is the index that they would expect to be doing the best. And it is the index that is doing the worst, which is more anecdotal evidence that the U.S. economy is not nearly as strong as people believe. In fact, we got another weak uh, data point that came out today. New home sales uh, missed estimates. They were down now for the third consecutive month. I think we're at the lowest level for new home sales in about five months. So again, more and more economic uh, news keeps coming out that does not validate this narrative, yet that doesn't stop uh, Wall Street, uh, Donald Trump, or Republicans in general from pressing what is obviously a false narrative. Now, the recent weakness in the stock market is uh, going to be blamed or is being blamed on the coronavirus and the news over the weekend that the virus is is spreading and there are more people who have been infected. We have more people who have died. But there is also news that they are, you know, they have efforts to contain the outbreak, and ultimately, the odds are that those efforts will be successful. Look, there's always the possibility, right, that you're going to have some kind of pandemic. But most of the time, when you have something like this, I think was it SARS that was the most recent, but we've had a number of these scares uh, that have not you know, lived up to the hype. I mean, everybody probably has visions of a zombie apocalypse, right? Where one of these uh, diseases comes out and it turns everybody into, into zombies and the whole world comes to an end. Uh, although that may be bullish for the stock market because the Fed would have to print a whole bunch of money uh, to head off uh, a zombie apocalypse. Uh, but, you know, the markets typically overreact to uh, these type of scares. So we don't know how much of global GDP may in fact be lost because of the coronavirus. I mean, personally, I had held off. I was uh, planning an Asia trip in April and I've kind of held off on booking my tickets and I'm kind of waiting to see. So I can see that there could be some reduction to travel in some of the areas where people are still waiting to see what happens. Uh, But you know, in the scheme of things, I don't think it's going to be that big a deal unless, of course, this particular disease ends up uh, being a lot worse uh, than had in our experience with outbreaks of things that were similar. Not Nothing is exactly the same, but uh, something that caused a lot of concern with respect to a contagion, uh, and, and but then it ended up uh, being okay, right? And that, that happened a lot here in Puerto Rico, too. We had other things. We had the Zika virus. I forget what else uh, we had down here on, on the island. Uh, but I think that the reason that everybody is blaming the decline on the outbreak of, uh, of this virus is because they just assume that the market is healthy. And so, therefore, it must be uh, the coronavirus uh, that is the problem. Instead of understanding that the market is actually sicker than the people who have been infected with this, with this virus. And what's probably happening is the virus is providing an excuse to sell the market because the market is overbought, the market is overpriced, and there is all this bad news that has nothing to do with the coronavirus that has been overlooked uh, you know, for a long time. In fact, I think probably much worse news for the market uh, is not the fact that we have some extra cases of people infected with the coronavirus. It's that we have a larger infestation going on 
with the Sanders virus. Look at what happened over the weekend to Bernie Sanders. He is surging in the polls. He is now leading for the first time ever. He's ahead of Joe Biden. Look at the odds on predicted. If you, he is now, I think it's 38 cents, whatever it is, is he is the favorite by a long shot now to win the Democratic nomination. And, you know, he just picked up the endorsement since I did my last podcast. He picked up the endorsement of Joe Rogan, which is not an insignificant endorsement. Of course, he tweets it out, right? Bernie Sanders tweeted out the Joe Rogan endorsement. And all of a sudden, all the other Democrats want to attack Joe Rogan because he's a racist, he's a homophobe, he's a bigot, whatever it is. Of course, had any one of those Democrats bagged that endorsement, they would have done the same thing. But because they didn't get it and because he's endorsing Bernie, of course, they want to attack uh, Joe Rogan. But again, that's just going to backfire. The more they want to attack people for endorsing um, Bernie Sanders, the more people are going to want to support Bernie Sanders because people want somebody that shakes things up. They want an anti-establishment guy. That's why people voted for Trump. That's why a lot of people are going to vote for Sanders. Even though he has been in the U.S. Senate for all these years, he hasn't been a member of either party, right? So he's been an insider, or rather he's been an outsider who infiltrated and has been working from the inside to disrupt the system. And now they just want to give him a promotion because he wasn't able to be a big enough force of disruption as one of 100 senators. Obviously, he could do a lot more as the president, and he probably can, but it's a lot more harm that he's going to do, not a lot more good. But of course, the voters don't know that. So Sanders is really surging. And in fact, I've read articles that as a Republican, if you're a conservative, you should be hoping that Bernie Sanders gets the nomination. That, in fact, you should register. If you're a Republican, you should register Democrat if you need to register. Sometimes you have open primaries. And you should go vote for Bernie Sanders. Right? I could vote for Bernie Sanders because I'm in Puerto Rico. I am only allowed to vote in primaries. I can't vote in a general election. So in theory, I could go and vote for Bernie Sanders, right? And the reason we're all supposed to do this is because he is the easiest opponent for Trump to defeat, right? So we should vote for Sanders to help Sanders get the nomination so that he can go down in flames, right? So that Trump can kill him. See, the problem with that theory is it could easily backfire because Sanders could actually get elected. See, everybody thinks he's a shoo-in to lose. Well, everybody thought the same thing about Trump. In fact, I remember the same narrative was going around in 2016. Democrats were saying, hey, let's go vote for Donald Trump in the Republican primary because that way Hillary is a sure thing, right? He is the best candidate to run against. He is the easiest candidate to beat. That is what the Democrats thought. Well, again, there's an old expression, be careful what you wish for. Because if you were a Democrat wishing that Donald Trump got the Republican nomination because you were confident that Hillary would beat him, guess what? It backfired and you got President Trump. Well, I think the same thing could happen to the Republicans who think that beating Bernie Sanders is a sure thing. Because believe me, it's not. Sanders can win. 
If Joe Rogan is going to vote for Sanders, think about all the other people that just might vote for Sanders. And I know, I mean, people are saying, well, America is not going to vote for a socialist. Really? Really? I wouldn't uh, be that confident. I think there's an old saying, I think it was P.T. Barnum, no one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. Well, don't overestimate the intelligence of, uh, of the American voter because they're just dumb enough to vote for Bernie Sanders. You know, even if they come out with all this old footage, right, of Bernie Sanders. In fact, I watched an interview that Bernie Sanders gave with Phil Donahue, right? He had an old talk show. For those of you who aren't old enough to remember uh, Hugh, uh, uh, Phil Donahue, he was married to uh, Marlo Thomas, who was Danny Thomas's uh, daughter. If you don't know who Phil Donahue is, you, no way you know who Danny Thomas is, or probably Marlo Thomas either. She was that girl. I grew up watching that girl. Uh, but in any event, uh, he interviewed um, Bernie Sanders after he was elected as the mayor of Burlington in Vermont, and it made big news because he ran as a socialist. So this was like, oh my God, uh, the people in Vermont just uh, elected a socialist. And so it was national news, and he ended up on a very popular national talk show. Basically, the Phil Donahue show was like the Oprah Winfrey show before Oprah came around, right? So he was the old Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, or maybe Oprah Winfrey is a more successful uh, Phil Donahue, right? But anyway, so he was on that show, and you could go on YouTube, and you could watch the interview. And the most interesting part of this interview happened at the very end of the clip, right? And and earlier in the clip, there are things that he actually says that I agree with. I mean, he was very much against the wars and the military-industrial complex and all the money that we're spending there. And I totally agree with Bernie on that. I mean, he's not completely off his rocker 100% of the time, just most of the time, right? So when he's talking about the fact that we're wasting money on defense, yes, he's right about that fact. And that probably gets him some votes that he probably shouldn't get if people realized how wrong he was uh, on the rest of the stuff. Uh, but anyway, but at the end of that uh, interview, uh, Phil, Phil Donahue asks him like a question, like a matter of fact question, like, well, don't you believe in competition, right? The invisible hand. Don't you believe that the person who invents the better mousetrap, you know, should win or whatever? And, and then Bernie Sanders answers the question by saying, no, I don't believe in competition. He says, I believe in cooperation. I think that it's better if we all cooperate instead of trying to compete with one another. Instead of trying to beat one another, right, we should just all cooperate, and that's what he believes in. Well, that's Marxism, right, which is communism. That's what Bernie Sanders believes in. And one of the things that Joe Rogan said, or the main reason that Joe Rogan gave for supporting Bernie Sanders was because he's been consistent in his beliefs that for the past 30 or 40 years, right, Bernie has been saying the exact same thing and nothing has changed, which is true. And I will give Bernie that. He is consistent, but he's consistently wrong. Why is that a good thing? Why is being wrong your entire life an admirable trait to be president, right? Because Bernie Sanders basically never grew up. He hasn't learned anything. Right? He's a lot older. He's 78, so he's got a lot of years, but he hasn't got a lot of wisdom. He grew older, but not wiser. He's supposed to learn as he gets older. He's supposed to be a socialist when he's 18, not when he's 78. He's supposed to be a conservative. He's supposed to be an advocate of the free market, 
What happened to that? He never developed intellectually. He's like a little kid that still believes in Santa Claus. That's what he believes in, right? He still has the same fantasies that he had as a child because he didn't grow up, right? You know, he's Peter Pan, except he can't fly. That is the problem with Sanders. And I bet if you had a conversation with Sanders, I bet he still believes this. He still believes that competition is bad, that cooperation is better. And, you know, cooperation, all of that appeals to, you know, this, you know, this Marxist utopian view of the world, uh, which is a complete fantasy, right? The idea that it should be from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, right? That everybody is just going to work as hard as they can to innovate and invent and produce for the good of mankind, not because they want to make themselves richer, but because they want to make society richer. So everybody is going to put in what they can. We're all going to work our hardest, and then we're all going to, you know, collect the same benefits, right? So those who don't work as hard, who aren't as smart, well, they get the same benefits as the smarter people who work harder, right? This is what the socialists believe, which is a bunch of nonsense. And Bernie Sanders believes this nonsense. He doesn't believe in Adam Smith. He doesn't believe in the invisible hand. Bernie Sanders must believe that people will work just as hard for strangers that they've never met, right, to improve their lives. They'll work just as hard as they will to improve their own lives or the lives of their children, right, their family members. This is complete BS. This is not how the world works. I mean, would it be nice if that's how the world worked? I guess if people, you know, really cared so much about their fellow man, right? That they would just work their butts off to benefit everybody, knowing that they themselves were not going to benefit personally from all the hard work. They were just gonna work just as hard and be just as creative because they care for their fellow man. But that's not the world we live in. That's not the human beings that we are. I mean, maybe in a million years or I don't know, a hundred million years, we'll evolve, right? We'll be just energy or something and maybe that's how we'll think or maybe if you can create a race of of robots of androids and maybe if all the humans right that actually have emotions and feelings if we all die out and all that's left is a bunch of robots maybe they can live in some kind of socialist utopia that bernie sanders thinks that we can live in in the here and now but of course we can't and all the anecdotal evidence proves that Right. Whenever you organize a society from each according to his ability to each according to his need, it doesn't work. It's a disaster. Nobody does anything. You know, it's a basic, you know, prisoner's dilemma uh, situation. I mean, think about this analogy, which I think is very good because it's easy for a lot of young people to understand because it has to do with uh, school. And, 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 and grades, right? Because a lot of young people who are attracted to socialism, if you use a, a real world example having to do with work, that doesn't resonate because they've never worked, but they've gone to school, they've taken exams. So this is an analogy, and I, I probably use it in the past on this podcast, but I'll use it again. Uh, and you know, you can certainly use this analogy yourself when you're talking to your, uh, your, your friends who have felt the burn, uh, and you can explain it to them. But let's say there's a teacher and 
the teacher decides that, you know, it's not fair. You know, some kids get A's and some kids get C's or D's. And it's really not fair because, you know, some kids are smarter than other kids and they're just better studiers than other kids. And, you know, why should they get the better grades? I mean, other kids still try hard and, you know, but they're just not smart enough or whatever it is. And so we want to make it fair. We want everybody to have the same grade. That way nobody has an A while somebody else has a C or D and, and feels bad about themselves because they got a lower grade. So what the teacher decides is that he tells the class, look, we want to make it fair. Everybody's going to get the exact same grade. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to add up all the scores, right? Let's say the tests are, you know, zero to 100, right? 100 is a perfect score. You know, if you get zero, you got everything wrong. But, you know, 90 usually and above is an A, you know, 80 and above is a B, you know, how they score. So what the teacher says is we're going to take everybody's score and, and, and add them all up together. And then we're going to divide by the number of kids in the class to get the average. And then we're going to give every kid the exact same grade, right? And that's what we're going to do, right? Now, what would happen? It's obvious what's going to happen. Everyone's going to get a lousy grade. Right. Even if the average, let's say the average before, right, when everybody was just studying for their own grade, right? It was like you worked hard, you studied, you got an A, that was your A, right? You got 100 points, you kept them all. You didn't throw them into a pool. So let's say the average exam when it was every man for himself, let's say the average score was an 80, right? Some kids uh, got 100 or a couple kids, some kids got 90 and then some kids got 70 or 75, what else, whatever the average was, 80 or 85. The average, obviously, when everybody is just contributing to a pool, right, each according to his ability, each according to his needs, right, the average would be much lower. I mean, probably it would be a 30 or 40 or it'd be, it'd be some disaster. The, I mean, everybody would get a terrible grade. And why is that? Well, you have to think about it from the perspective of each person in the class. And let's say there's 50 kids in the class, right? And let's say, you know, you're a kid and you know that this is going to be the situation, right? So I'm going to think to myself, okay, if I knock my brains out and really hit the books and I study really hard to get the best possible grade, I mean, it's really not going to impact me that much, especially if I think all the other kids in the class are going to study their hardest to get the best possible grade. Because you know what? If everybody else studies and gets a really high grade, then, you know, I mean, even if I don't study at all, even if I get a lousy grade, I'm still going to do pretty good, right? Because, you know, you're going to average it out. So, I mean, the marginal benefit to me of getting a great grade too, if I think everybody else is going to study and get a great grade, I mean, what's the point? I'll let them do all the studying. They'll do all the hard work. I'm going to hit the beach. I'm going to a concert. I'm not studying. I'm going to stay out all night and party. I'm going to have a lot of fun because I'm going to let my classmates do all the hard work and I'm going to get just as good a grade as they do because they're all going to work hard, right? So if I think everybody's going to study to get a good grade, then personally, my incentive is to go have a good time, right? What's the point? I don't even need to work. On the other hand, if I think the rest of my classmates are going to be a bunch of bums and are all going to take out and hit the beach and go to the same concert and they're not going to study, then what's the point of my studying? Why? I mean, I mean, even if I study and I ace the test, I'm still going to get a lousy grade because I'm going to get averaged in with all these people who didn't study at all. So you see, the point is no matter what you think the rest of your classmates are going to do, you're going to slack off. You're not going to study because there's nothing in it for you. Well, that's how communism works in practice. Everybody's looking for a free ride. 
Nobody wants to work harder if he's not going to benefit any more than the people who don't work at all. And, you know, why work if you could have just a good a life as the people who, who do work? So this is the world we live in. This is human nature. You see, what takes human nature into consideration is capitalism. See, that is the beauty of capitalism and free market competition. This is what Bernie Sanders does understand, the visible hand, right? He doesn't see it because it's invisible, but his mind isn't comprehending it, right? What the invisible hand says is that people want to improve their own lives, They don't give a damn about people they don't know. They want to make things better for themselves, right? Well, if that is true, if human beings are basically greedy, right? Like Gordon Gekko, greed is good, greedy to improve their lives and their families' lives, right? How do they do that in a free market economy? Well, you have to improve the lives of other people, even if you don't care about those other people, because that's the only way to get rich, In a free market, what do you have to do? I want to make money. I have to come up with something that people want. I have to make it better. I have to make it cheaper. So I am led by an invisible hand to improve the lives of other people when my only incentive was to improve my own life. That's what works. Free market capitalism and its competition because everybody competes with everybody else in order to come up with the best mousetrap to make the most efficient one at the lowest possible price. So it's free market competition that improves the lives of everybody. But Bernie Sanders doesn't understand that. He thinks that's bad. He thinks that's mean because not everybody benefits the same. Right? In free market capitalism, the people who do the most to improve the lives of others get the richest. And the people who do nothing, who slack off, right, and they don't improve other people's lives, then their own life right, is, is not as good. But under a capitalist system with so many capitalists competing against each other to make everybody else better off, everybody else is better off. So even the people who don't work hard and aren't that smart still have a pretty good life in a capitalist economy. Do they live at the top end? No, they don't deserve to. They didn't do anything to make other people's lives better. But under socialism, nobody lives better except the people in the government, right? Where the government gets all the power because that's what you end up doing. You end up taking the power away from capitalists and giving it to government. And there's a big difference. Capitalists have to make people's lives better because they have to win a voluntary exchange. They have to produce a product that other people willingly want to buy and they have to make it better than somebody else or make it cheaper than somebody else. Government doesn't have any competition. You're stuck with whatever they give you, which is not very much in the way of freedom. Uh, But every society who has made this trade-off, right, that has made a deal with the devil, which is what Bernie Sanders wants to do because he doesn't believe in the principles of free market capitalism. He doesn't believe in Adam Smith and the visible hand. He believes in Karl Marx, right? He is a Marxist. Marxism is communism. That's what he is. He's actually a communist. Now, he'd never say that. Well, I'm a socialist. Yes, socialism is a bigger tent. There are different types of socialism. Fascism is one type of socialism. Communism is another form of socialism. So yes, he is a socialist, but he's also like a communist because he believes in Marxism, which is the, you know, the forefront of, uh, of, of communism. It's all based on Marx. 
you know, das Kapital, right? And, you know, so people think, oh, well, all we have to do is highlight all this, right? And nobody is going to vote for Bernie Sanders when they realize he's a communist. <laughs> no, they're not. You call him a communist, that'll probably inspire more people to want to vote for him. You know, because A, they don't even think communism is that bad, right? That's how, you know, bad our educational system is. But they'll just say, oh, you know, you're just calling him that uh, because you don't like all these good things that he wants to do. So if the economy turns down, which it very easily could, you know, the unemployment rate right now is 3.7. It was 4.8 when Obama left office. 4.8 is still a low unemployment rate. And it wouldn't be that hard uh, for the unemployment rate to spike back up above 5% between now and the election. That could happen if we have an economic downturn. Even 5% would still be a relatively low unemployment number, especially given the way they, they keep track of it now. But that could happen. And if that happens, and if Bernie Sanders happens to be the Democratic nominee, he's the 46th president of the United States, right? That is not a good thing. In fact, the market should be selling off on that. That's what I started to say, is that's much worse news than what's going on with the coronavirus, the spread of the Sanders virus. That is far more important. The stock market has barely begun to decline if it starts to price in just the possibility, even a remote possibility, that Sanders is the next president. But it's a lot more than a remote possibility. I think it's a pretty good possibility, it may even be a probability. But here is probably even a worse scenario, although I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say. But if Sanders is a nominee and he loses to Trump in a close election or whatever, he loses to Trump. In 2024, what about AOC? I mean, she could end up running for president. I think she's, you know, I, I got to check the numbers. I didn't, she may be 35 by 2024. And then she'd be able to run for president because she is his heir apparent. I mean, that's one of the reasons she probably, uh, you know, endorsed him is because he's 78. She's whatever, 30, however she is. And, and so she is in a position to pick up the torch when he can no longer carry it. She wants to be the standard bearer for socialists in Washington. And of course, she is a much better uh, person to do that because she checks all the boxes. I mean, Bernie Sanders has got all this support, even though he's the wrong race, he's the wrong gender, he's an old white guy, and he's even a Jew. Right. There's still probably a lot of anti-Semitism out there somewhere, but he's not the right minority. I mean, Jewish is still a minority, but I mean, it's not one of the one of the real victims. Uh, but look at AOC. She's young. She's a woman. She's a woman of color. I mean, I think she's straight. I don't really know her sexuality, but I guess if she came out gay, that would even help more. Uh, but, you know, she checks all those victim boxes. Uh, and so she is going to be a stronger uh, leader and if for some reason Donald Trump wins, there is no way in hell that we're going to avoid this economic implosion uh, for an, another four years after the election. I mean, this is going to be way worse than what happened in the second term of George Bush. I mean, a massive economic collapse, runaway inflation. I mean, all the problems are going to be so much worse and there's going to be no one to blame. We're going to have eight years of Donald Trump and Republican rule. And oh, my God, we never knew that capitalism was this bad. I mean, we knew it was bad, but my God, I mean, this bad. Look at all the damage that was done by reckless tax cuts and, and, and regulation cuts. And, and, and so we could really hand the country over to AOC. Uh, but it's possible that Sanders actually wins. 
Uh, and, um, and if that happens, then that might be the end of AOC. Because hopefully, because hopefully if Sanders wins, things will be so bad by 2024 with Sanders as president. Hopefully that will completely discredit uh, the Democratic Socialists because of how bad everything will be. But you never know. I mean, I mean, they, they could continue down this path. It's, it's hard to say. But I want to switch uh, from Sanders and talk a little bit about Elizabeth Warren because she got caught up in a very interesting exchange with a voter that made the news. And basically, she was stumping around talking about, you know, forgiving student loans. And a father approached her with a very legitimate question, right? This was a father who had worked really hard and saved his money. And the reason he did that was because he didn't want his daughter to have to go into debt to go to college. So he was a really good father. And instead of maybe taking vacations and, and buying a new car, uh, you know, he foregoed those things, went without them, and he, he worked overtime, and he saved all the money. And then he paid for his daughter's college. So she didn't have to borrow any money. And so the question he had for Elizabeth Warren is, am I going to get my money back? I mean, because if I knew that you guys were just going to forgive all the loans, what? Well, why did I sacrifice all those years to save for college, right? So I did that. I did the right thing. I acted responsibly. Do I get my money back? And Elizabeth Warren said, oh, of course not. I mean, why would you get your money back? But it was a very honest question with a very flippant answer. Oh, no, why should we give you your money back? But she wants to forgive all of the debt of the people who, who borrowed. And this father made a point. He told Elizabeth Warren about a friend of his. Now, I don't know if he was making this up or maybe it was true, but it certainly could be true. And I'm sure it is true in many circumstances, even if it's not true in this one. And he was just uh, trying to illustrate a point. But he said, you know, I have a friend who makes more money than I do. But he didn't save anything for his daughter's college. But he, you know, he, he went on vacations and bought new cars. And so his daughter borrowed money to go to college because you know, her parents, you know, spent the money on themselves. They didn't save for their daughter. And now the loans are going to be forgiven. So everything he did, all of his suffering and all of his sacrifice was all for naught, right? Because this other guy who didn't do the right thing and who just had a party and had fun with his money, his daughter's going to college for nothing. And so he's getting screwed, which of course he is. Under socialism, Everybody who wants to do the right thing gets screwed. That's what socialism is about. It's about screwing the people who do the right things and rewarding the people who do the wrong things. That's why no one does the right thing under socialism, because you're just going to get screwed. You're not going to get the benefit from your hard work and your sacrifice. Somebody else is. So, And, and it's the same thing with what's going to happen with inflation. And this is something, an argument or discussion rather maybe, or sometimes it's an argument that I have with clients when they just don't get it. Like I talked to some guy today who was cashing out, you know, quite a bit of money that I have managing for him. And he wants to put it into a portfolio of, uh, of uh, preferred stocks. I have him in some good foreign stocks and some good dividend paying stocks. And his portfolio has done quite well. I mean, over the last four years, I mean, not as well as the U.S. stock market because, you know, we're not investing in a bubble. Uh, but I think long run, that portfolio is going to do much, much better uh, going back to day one than the U.S. stock market. But, you know, he wants to get into these Preferreds, and I try to explain to him uh, that he's going to get killed because, you know, preferred stock, you have a coupon, you have a fixed dividend. Uh, this is like a bond. And the worst thing that can happen to you is inflation, which we are going to get in spades, right? When uh, uh, 
Bernie Sanders becomes president or AOC or ever eventually becomes president, how are we going to pay for all the government programs, all the free stuff? You know, we're, who's going to pick up the tab? Because somebody has to pay for it. Well, they're talking about taxing the rich. Okay, well, they could talk about taxing the rich, but they're not going to, you know, generate anywhere as much revenue because a lot of the people who are rich are not going to be so rich once they impose these confiscatory taxes. And once they screw up the economy to the extent that they will, a lot of the rich are going to lose a lot of money. Now, that may be very helpful in reducing the gap, the inequality gap, if you make rich people a lot poorer, then there's not as big a difference between uh, the middle class and the rich or the poor and the rich, but that doesn't actually lead to any kind of progress. But no, they're not gonna get the money to have free education and free healthcare and free jobs programs and free government jobs and family leave and medical leave and all the stuff that they wanna give you for free. They're not gonna get the money from the wealth tax, even if they're able to uh, get that unconstitutional tax uh, ratified or you know, uh, uh, they're able to pull it off. They're not gonna get it from a financial transaction tax or any of these schemes that they have to raise all sorts of money uh, to pay off their voters with a bunch of free stuff. The, the source of the funding is gonna be the Fed. I mean, that's it, that's where the money's coming from. They're gonna print it. And of course, the, de- the Republicans, they, they, they can't oppose the deficit spending or the money printing after all. They loved it when Trump was doing it. I mean, if they didn't uh, care about record budget deficits when the economy was the greatest in history, if uh, Bernie Sanders inherits a recession from Trump, how is any Republican going to say, yeah, but we can't afford to borrow money uh, for this stimulus because, you know, we have too big a debt. That's not going to work next time. So there's going to be no Republican opposition. And of course, they're going to be in the minority party because if Bernie Sanders wins, uh, the Democrats are also going to take the House. So they're going to have uh, the House, the Senate and the White House. And so they are going to enact all of these spending increases. And where is the money going to come from? It's going to come from the Fed. They're just going to create out of thin air. So they are going to create massive inflation. And just like the father who saved for his daughter's education gets screwed on the let's forgive all the debt, all the student debt. Well, everybody who did the right thing, everybody who saved for their retirement and now has a big portfolio of bonds, corporate bonds, government bonds, you know, you bought an annuity with a fixed payment and you thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to live off of this annuity, off these income streams. All of those people are going to get screwed, right? It's the people who did the wrong thing, who just have nothing but debt, they're going to have their debt forgiven. That debt is going to be wiped out. You see, when you borrow, like if a nation borrows more money than it could possibly repay, well, then default is inevitable. So the lenders are going to get screwed. The only question is, in what position are they going to be screwed, right? Because there's two ways that the government screws its creditors when it can't pay. One is default, right? That is the honest way to do it, which is why that's not going to be how we do it, because our politicians are not honest enough to screw people, you know, in, in an honest way. Right. Uh, they're not going to default. But that doesn't mean the, the lenders get their money back. I mean, or they get their money back, but they don't get their purchasing power back because we have inflation. They run the printing presses and they give people back their money, but they don't get their purchasing power because the value of the currency is destroyed. So. When you have a situation like the United States, when you have a government that has borrowed money that it can never repay, 
Either you don't get your money back because they're honest and they screw you by defaulting, or you get your money back because they're dishonest and they screw you through inflation. And so this is gonna be another example, people doing the right thing and getting screwed. And so what they need to do now is recognize uh, this is gonna happen to them, right? Uh, they're gonna be financially raped by inflation unless they say no, right? And the way you do that is by getting out of US dollars. You're doing the opposite of what this client told me he wants to do today. I think I was able to convince him, though, to at least uh, take a, a chunk of money and put it into my gold fund because I said, you know what? You need to be heavier into gold stocks now. If you're really going to put all this money back into U.S. Uh, fixed income, basically, if that's what you're going to do, you need a big inflation hedge. So you need to have a more aggressive portfolio with me than the one you have now. Right. And it's going to be a smaller portfolio, so it can afford to be more aggressive. But what you need to do is you need to hedge this inflation risk. Now, he did mention to me, hey, if Bernie Sanders uh, gets elected, I'm going to send all this money back uh, to get it out of the U.S. I said, well, that'd be great. But I wonder how much you're going to have left uh, because the stocks you're buying could go down. And of course, the stuff that you want to rebuy could have doubled in price or more uh, because I think we're going to have some violent moves in the market. I mean, the U.S. stock market is going to get killed when if Bernie Sanders wins, unless the stock market gets killed before he wins because the market starts to discount the fact that he's going to win, right? So if the markets start to think that Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee and he could win, the markets have to immediately go down. I mean, this little correction that we have now really needs to become a bear market if the markets start to think that Bernie Sanders is going to win. And if he actually wins, it needs to be a really bad, bad market. I mean, this market has to be obliterated based on a Sanders victory because everything Sanders wants to do is terrible for the stock market and terrible for the economy. Now, of course, he won't be able to do everything he wants to do, but anything that he does is going to be bad for the stock market and bad for the economy. He's going to do something. Even if he can't get his entire agenda through, whatever he does get through is going to be really, really bad. And the problem is the stock market is already so overvalued. It's not like we have a fairly valued market and he's going to screw that up. No, no, no. The market is priced for perfection. It's priced for a great economic outcome, not the horrible economic outcome that we're headed for, especially if Bernie Sanders is the next president. You know, the only market that will really benefit is the gold market. And in fact, you know, gold was up again today. We were up about $10 uh, today. We closed a little bit above 1580. This is the highest close in many years. You gotta go back to April of uh, 2013 uh, to find a gold close uh, that was higher than this. And I got that date. My son Spencer texted me. If you're not following him on Twitter, you should because he's on top of all this stuff. And he, he sent me that, 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 that stat earlier today. Uh, but, you know, and gold on Friday, gold was also up as the U.S. market was down. And Friday was the highest close for gold in the U.S. for the year. And now today is the higher close. So now this is the highest close. We took out the highest close that we had on Friday. Gold just keeps on going up and up. It is now up by more than 4% on the year. The Dow Jones, on the other hand, is actually down a few points on the year. So it's lost its entire gain and it's now negative on the year.
The S&P 500 though, that index is still positive as is the NASDAQ. But the fact that the Dow is now down, I think that's significant. Gold on the other hand, is up by better than 4% on the year. This is a strong January. In fact, the last time gold was this strong in a January was January of 2017. The price of gold was up about 5.5%. Now, we could beat that January. We still have several trading days left for the price of gold uh, to go up. And if we're up another 1.5%, we will have a stronger January than the one we had in 2017. And then I got to go back into the, you know, the charts to see when we had a stronger January than that. I, I didn't check that today, but, but I did check to see when was the last year that we had a rally that was stronger than this, and that was the January of 2017. But a big difference between then and now, gold stocks were down today. And they were, I think they were down a little bit on Friday. And if you go back to January of 2017, when gold was up uh, 5.5%, gold stocks had a very, very strong month. In fact, the GDXJ, which is the junior miners, which are more volatile, they rose by 20% in the month of January. So a 5.5% move up in the price of gold led to a 20% gain in the price of gold stocks. More than, what, um, four times uh, the gain. This year, with uh, gold up better than 4%, instead of getting a, like a 16% gain, which would be similar in magnitude to the gain from January of 2017, the GDXJ is actually down 2.5%. Again, this is the last time this happened was in uh, the year 2000 at the bottom of the bear market in gold and the top of the bull market in, in stocks. Now, what happened? People might, you know, you might be curious, what happened in all of 2017, right? What happened if you bought gold stocks at the end of January in 2017? Well, you lost money because gold stocks between February 1st and December 31st, they basically gave back half of the gains that the gold stocks made in that January. So if you bought at the end of January, you were down at the end of the year, even though the price of gold continued to rise throughout the year, just at a slower pace. Gold was up in 2017 about 13%, you know, something like that. So it gained uh, 8 9% or so after January, right? It added on to its January gains. Uh, but despite that, gold stocks sold off because they had actually gotten ahead of themselves because people were so excited about this move up in a January in the price of gold that investors rushed in to buy gold stocks. Well, what are investors doing today? They're looking at a gold price that is almost as strong as it was then. And in fact, there's so many reasons now to be even more bullish than people were back in 2017. After all, back then, everybody thought the Fed was going to normalize interest rates. Everybody thought the Fed was going to shrink its balance sheet. So, you know, you didn't have as much of a reason. And of course, you know, Donald Trump was just elected. Everything was going to be great. He's going to make uh, uh, America great again, right? So th there wasn't as many reasons back then to be bullish as there are today, yet investors were excited about that move up in gold and they ran into gold stocks. None of that enthusiasm is here today. None of that excitement is here. 
Investors are skeptical. They are selling gold stocks because they don't believe the rally. The price of gold keeps on going up and up and up. It is climbing a wall of worry. It's not having huge gains in any one day. It's just grinding out new highs, new highs for this bull market, and investors are not buying into it. They are assuming that uh, gold is going to go down, and so they're assuming gold stocks are going to fall. Meanwhile, gold stocks are going to have better earnings because they're going to be able to sell their gold at a much higher price uh, than has been built into the estimates. And so gold companies' earnings will continue to go up, and gold uh, companies will continue to increase their dividends until one day, you know, you're going to see some type of capitulation. The bears are going to capitulate. Now, maybe one of the reasons that people are selling gold stocks today despite the rise, is because they just assume that gold is only up because of the coronavirus scare. And they think the stock market is only down because of the coronavirus scare. And so because they know that in the past, when the markets have been scared like this because of the outbreak of some disease, uh, that there's been buying opportunities, that the market's gone down and then it's come up, right? And so if they assume that uh, this is just a false alarm, like past false alarms, and that gold, I mean, and that the stock market's going to go back up, well, they assume that gold's going to go down, and they assume that gold stocks are going to go down, so they're not waiting. They're selling now. You see, you don't have as much liquidity in these shares. I mean, there's not as many players in the market, uh, so if people are trying to get in front of that trade, they're trying to bet and fade this move in the market because historically that's been the right thing to do. Well, they're selling gold stocks, assuming that everything is going to blow over. Well, what if that's not the reason that the market's going down? What if that's the excuse? Which is what I said when I began the podcast. What if they contain the coronavirus, but there is no recovery in the stock market? Then what? What if stocks keep going down? Well, then obviously gold prices could really take off because traders are going to have to catch up and the shorts are going to have to buy back these positions at higher prices and not lower prices. 